ready? Welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, I'd like to give a big thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me and the adventurous lifestyle. What I love about Wild Earth is that they remind me of when I was a child and I'll go into Toy World or Toys R Us and get lost in this world of endless possibilities. The same thing happens to me now with Wild Earth. The other night I got stuck in this two-hour vortex where I was looking at their catalogue on the website and dreaming about future adventures, hiking, camping, running, kayaking, survival... Anything to do with outdoor adventure, these guys have it. So to say thank you to the listeners, we are offering a 10% discount code. So next time you need anything for your outdoor adventure, go to wildearth.com.au and put in the discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. They ship internationally and have free shipping Australia-wide. I'm here in Iceland with no mountaineer experience, and I have this stupid idea that I want to cross the mountains in the north by myself. So I went searching for people to help me out with this. So through friends, I get hooked up with the wildest crew of people that I've ever met. They run a company called The Empire Expeditions, specializing in productions and expeditions in the wildest climate on the planet that is the Arctic. So I drive up north to meet Steve, the owner, who I think is just going to show me some maps and give me some advice. But he sits me down and pretty much tells me that I'm likely to die if I attempt to do this without any experience. So he turns to Carey, one of his mountaineer guides, and says, Go grab the truck and some gear and take Aaron up a mountain and show him how to read avalanches. And straight away, just like that, I'm thrown in the deep end. So we jump in this massive Land Cruiser troop carrier that is so jacked up that it looks like a monster truck. So with Kerry behind the wheel, we start driving out of town and then off-road, driving through deep, deep snow to the foothills of these mountains. Pretty much straight away, I realise Kerry is no normal girl. She is one tough chick. She is one badass motherfucker. And off we go, climbing this mountain. I could do so many podcasts with this girl. She was a ski racer. She works on fishing boats up in Alaska. She has her own cabin up in Alaska out in the middle of nowhere. She's a ski guide here in the Arctic. And I'm really hoping I get more time with her so I can go deeper into the stories of each avenue of her life. So this episode is The Wild, Kerry Smith. Enjoy. Doesn't really matter. Alright. Yeah. We're gonna just have a little practice first. A before picture. Yeah, you get a before picture. And we can just I'll crack a beer first. First thing I'm gonna ask her, first thing I'm gonna ask you is like, where are you from and how did you become such a badass? (laughs) (laughs) So once I answer those two questions, is it over? (laughs) No, this is yeah, pretty much, because that's your whole life story. It's like how did you end up becoming such a fucking Ad, what? Arctic badass. I'm going to call you an Arctic. Arctic badass. Arctic badass. And I've been a lot of non-Arctic places. Well, you make me feel like a pussy up in this part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm following you up mountains and you're just, yeah, you know your shit. So it's like, that's, okay, so that is where, that is what I want to know about you. Is like, how did you end up being that fucking badass on the top of those mountains? You know, because I'm looking at you, Kerry, like, 
cool chick. You know, we've actually kind of become like this little family, little group here in Iceland. Mm-hmm. But it's like, and I keep getting these glimpses of stories, like you in Alaska, or you up in Svalbard, which is what up in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, mm-hmm. real far north. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so are we been... live or is this like? No, we're practicing. Okay, good. All yeah. Right. So I'm not going to start yet. No, you can start. It's live. It's <laughs> <laughs> trying to trick you. It's trying to make it feel comfortable. Yeah, it's good. I just need to know if I should start talking about it. No, or like, like okay. well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna see where it leads to. Okay. No, but like, okay, so Kerry, where are you from, and how did you become such a badass? <laughs> No. I'm from a extremely small town yeah, on Mount Hood. It's a volcano in Oregon. And I'm from the town on the pass called Government Camp. Yeah, right. So what population when you're saying small, like what population are we talking here? Uh hundred and sixty. Ooh, so this is yeah. really small. <laughs> I know, it's funny when people are like, Oh, I'm from a really small town. Oh yeah, five thousand people, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can kind of understand why. Yeah. Well, actually, you must you must like small places because everywhere you go and all the stories that I know about you are like really unpopulated places. Like you know, yeah. living up in Svalbard or living how how's that I say it? Svalbard. Svalbard. <laughs> or like in Iceland, like even like where we are now, like every. In Alaska, you got a cabin in Alaska. That's all very small places. So, are you comfortable in those small, those small towns that are really, really unpopulated? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. There's definitely something about going to the grocery store and knowing the, you know, person checking you out, and then the bartender rents out your basement apartment, and the guy who owns the, you know ski resort is down the street like it's just so small yeah so growing up in a town with 160 people like do you go back there much is that still where your family is yeah um my mom and sister still live back there and i mean it's not like we're just this excluded little town in the middle of nowhere there's a lot of tourism and yeah um it's actually huge for like summer skiing because it's one of the last glaciated places in North America. So, like, tons of people come to go ski train. and Yeah, so is that how you became a skier? So you grew up skiing your whole life? Yeah. See, now we're getting into it. <laughs> okay, yeah, so now we're here. Um, yeah, I grew up, there wasn't much else to do in government camp, Um Besides go skiing, we didn't have a, I mean, my bus ride to get to school was an hour and a half. Like, oh, shit. It's the first one on the bus in the morning, 6.15. Because of that hour and a half, did, does that mean you skipped a lot of days of school to go skiing? <laughs> like, was it, were you wagging a lot? I mean, yes, but my parents don't know that. They think yeah. that I took the bus to school, which it, I did. I would take the bus down to school, but then... Just not walk into the school building, and yeah. then my friends would pick me up and go back up to the mountain. You go skiing, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I would not be able to an hour and a half every morning. You'd probably get me at school once a week, maybe. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Yeah. So, so you started skiing at a young age, and was that just your main passion? Or is that just what you did? Is that all you've known? 
Yeah, it's kind of just one of those normal things. Like it's like growing up in a small town, you don't know that it's weird or different well, until someone yeah. tells you. They're like, yeah. "Wow, that's crazy," and you're like, "I don't know. I thought it was pretty." So those mountains that you live in there are they as big as like the ones here in Iceland or like a lot of the ones that like how big are those actual mountains around the town that you grew up in? Um, there's actually only one mountain. It's a volcano, so it's just a single, just gorgeous peak. And it's 11,000 feet tall. Yeah. Um, so what, what's that in, compared to the ones around us right now here in Iceland in Isafurta? Like, <laughs> is it be bigger? Like, Yeah, way bigger. Um, the ones here are about 700 meters, like up from the ocean. So that's, I don't know, 2,100 feet. Yeah. But coming straight out of the ocean, that's pretty nice. Yeah. So growing up around the mountains and like, did you always backcountry? Like, is that, were you always hiking and skiing down, which is what I know that you do now? It's like getting these random lines and just going to do it. Is that like how you grew up? Or did you just have a chairlift that you just went up every day? Yeah, I actually didn't start backcountry skiing until I was in my 20s. I had a kind of a big accident that led up to that. But um, when I was younger, I grew up ski racing. So that's, yeah, like I said, no movie theaters, pretty much all there was to do. And I ended up getting becoming fairly competitive in it and was fortunate enough to travel and so you were like kind of would you say semi-professional at some stage like were you traveling and doing competitions I mean yeah I I wasn't like getting I was in high school at this point so I wasn't getting paid necessarily but yeah I was able to go up to Canada and um just all over the states and visit all these cool ski resorts and um eventually when i quit racing you know i decided to become a ski bum yeah and yeah just and just live your life around skiing so how did it end up so you've grown up around the mountains i've I've seen you in the mountains because i've seen how comfortable you are because i'm out of my comfort zone here like i'm up there freaking out And you're just cruising along, <laughs> like just yeah, doing your thing. And it's, um, that's why you make me feel like a pussy here. But like, <laughs> so growing up around the mountains and everything, like, would you say, so how did it actually progress from you being in your small town to now being up in Iceland, being like a ski guide? Like, what was the progression there? It's like, like, is this a harsher climate? climate? Are you more nervous here than what you were at home? Or like, how did it progress to suddenly being up in this part of the world? Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, skiing has always been a huge part of, I guess, my identity, but traveling was a huge part as well, and that was almost separate at first. So when I got out of high school, I decided I wasn't going to go to university or college. Yeah. I was pretty over the system and didn't want to be a part of it. Um, and so I just took off for three months and backpacked around Europe. And that's kind of how I got into traveling and skiing. I just did in the winter. And then I traveled probably three to five months in the fall and the spring. Yeah. So, so you traveled around Europe and then went back and did a, a ski, like you did the season and then what just decided to take off traveling again. again. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I would just go back, ski for the season at Snowbird in Utah And, uh, then I went up to this race in Alaska. This was the first year I didn't compete. 
um, in like alpine ski racing. And it's a race called Arctic Man. Um, it's just in the middle, like central Alaska, four hours south of Fairbanks, just in the mountains. And that was the first time that I was just introduced to backcountry skiing. I was 18 and I'd heard about this race. <laughs> so I just looked it up online and there was a page, you know, of, okay, so the race essentially is held out in the middle of nowhere and it's a skier that starts on top of a, a, a mountain out there and they groom a track, like a five mile long track. Um, the skier goes down the first leg and then gets towed behind a snowmobile like hooks up behind a snowmobile and gets towed up onto this plateau. And at the top of the plateau, you're going, I don't know, close to 80 miles an hour. Holy shit. <laughs> and then the snowmobile goes off and releases the skier down like another mile or so to the finish line. And yeah, I thought that sounded really fun. So I just signed up. Like I just contacted one of the letters and she was like, great. Let's um, do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're 18 then, so how old are you now? Now I'm 26. So you're 26. So yeah, eight years ago. So you went up and how did that go? Like, that I mean, started... it was, yeah, that was mind blowing for me. That was like the first time I'd been, I mean, I'd skied before, you know, just on the lifts and things, but this was, they handed me a snowmobile when I got up there and they're like, here, this is your sled for the week. Like... Yeah. Go try it out. And the first thing I did was just <laughs> like full throttle up this cat track and just launched over into a massive snowbank. It took like four or five guys two hours to do it out. Oh, so you've gone straight up and you've, what is it, sunken into the snow? Straight yeah, away? I mean, I just launched it like over this cat track, like to the other side. Holy shit. <laughs> um, but then, you know, after that, I was just completely hooked and the first year I ended up winning the female category which was cool I'd never experienced any sort of this race yeah it's just really bizarre and that was yeah just my introduction to Alaska and being in big mountains and open terrain and alpine terrain did you did you have to step up the plate when it came to the mountains or did you reckon growing up in the mountain that you grew up in did that give you the experience that you needed up in Alaska or was it a whole different ball game? Kind of a different ball game. Like I grew up in the ski resort and, you know, I was used to the weather and the elements, but just I'd never dealt with avalanche danger or, I don't know, terrain in Alaska. There's no trees, you know, so it's just this huge alpine gets stuck in whiteouts. And like here definitely, kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah, it was definitely next level. Um, but yeah. So you, so you, you've won the contest up there and then, so what did you just decide to stay in Alaska? No, I came back and did another season at Snowbird. Um, and well, I traveled to Thailand, I went to Thailand for a month or two. I just intermittently fall off the earth for a while. How'd you feel the warmth? How'd you find it? How'd you find the warmth down there? <laughs> uh, warm's you... good, but I definitely naturally am inclinated to go towards colder places. Yeah, gravitate towards. Did you have a pair of fisherman pants there? In Thailand? Yeah. 
You no. dipped in. Yeah. You did it? <laughs> no, I was not fishing. No, you know the, the fisherman pants? Oh, the Thailand, oh like yeah. The yeah, pants? I did. I, t- I definitely still have them. They're, they're comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got elephants on them. They're great. Okay, so, so you came back. And then what happened? Like how... So from that, then how did it decide that you were just going to live this life and just work as a ski guide? Because that's the ultimate where we're kind of getting to here is that you became a ski guide and that's what you do as your job now. And then you're also a fisher, fisher woman. Yeah. I was going to call you a fisherman, but she's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um Yeah, I guess going back to that, I did another season at Snowbird and just the first time I'd really, you know, big mountain skied. All I had was race skis. I just looked like a total gaper. I didn't have any of the right equipment, you know, just yeah. the person who has no idea what they're doing. It's like me here with the mountains of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I had totally the wrong skis. Uh, I had dreadlocks previously and I cut them so I could get a job at this ski resort. So I was bald at that point. <laughs> um, had like the shittiest skis and my helmet, which was like a full ear racer you know, racer kid helmet. Yeah. It didn't fit anymore because I didn't have any hair. <laughs> and so I just had this like really scrunchy hat underneath. And I didn't have any transport at that point. And so I decided by motorcycle. Anyways, you know, you just get the image. Like there's yeah. this just... You just became this badass. Well, I'd say (laughs) people weren't saying badass quite yet. You know, just kind of dirtbag, like mess of chaos thrown together. (laughs) (laughs) But they gave you a job. Yeah, they did. Because I shaved my head and I was like, wow, I really... (laughs) just don't know if I look better with a shaved head or if I would have looked better with dreadlocks. Because now I look like a dyke. (laughs) <laughs> well you did now you've got long hair you don't look like a dark no. but um okay so so you worked up there I'm, I'm just getting through the story of her life I'm just going story to story it's like and it's slowly becoming like what, how she turned into this mountaineer badass that we know right so she shaved her head and got a motorbike and, <laughs> and, that's and a job at being the ski a badass. resort yeah. yeah just being a total dirtbag dog yeah. Bum, so, skiing. what did you actually do at the ski resort? What lifting? I worked at a restaurant as a hostess. Oh, really? Yeah. With a bald head and a motorbike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I decided to go back to Alaska to do this race again because it was exhilarating, and I wanted to go back. And um, yeah, then I had a huge accident, and I ended up completely wrecking myself. How? Take us through that. <laughs> um, so I guess I kind of explained before. <clears throat> it's a skier that comes down off of a hill. And then you get, you know, you hook up behind a snowmobile and you're kind of, you're holding on to this, you know, rope or whatever behind the snowmobile. And at the top, the snowmobile goes super fast before you launch, you know, the skier releases and launches down to the finish line. And um, it was just a practice day. So the course wasn't completely ready yet. Um, The girl I was going up with was super fast, really talented and good. And we were both really excited. So we were practicing the part where, you know, we go really fast on the top and then she pulls away and I kind of go over this jump and 
go the rest of my mile down to the finish line. When you say jump, like, are you are you getting air on this jump? Like, yeah. How, how so, <laughs> well, um, you're on your downhill skis, which is which are like 211 centimeters. They're really long, and so you don't have a ton of maneuverability, but they're made to go really fast. So, essentially, what happened is I got we went way too fast to be practicing because there was a guy who went before me that uh, kind of slowed down before the jump. And, you know, one of my kind of mentors was like, just ball up. Like, don't, I don't want to see you slow down like that guy. And so I was like, okay, I got this. Like, I got to do this. <laughs> I'm not like blaming him at no, all, no, no, you know, no, no. but <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was going as a blind roll and you're going so fast, you know, it's not like it's a... So a blind roll, you mean you don't really know what's on the other side? You yeah, just you the can't jump. see anything. Just, yeah. And it's not like they built up a massive jump, but you're going so fast. Like I was going around 80 miles an hour. And um, when you hit this roll, it just kind of drops out from underneath you. And I hit it with slightly the wrong direction. And the track wasn't in yet. Um so I went off and just launched probably 100 feet down the hill. So like 30, 40 meters. Like, Shit. In the wrong direction. <laughs> in the wrong direction. So it's a blind jump. Yeah. When did you realize you're in the wrong direction? Was this in you the know, air? right when you take off. Yeah, you pretty much. <laughs> you just look so It happens pretty quick, yeah. but it's slow at the same time. What went, do you know what went through your head then? Yeah, I mean, I was in the air for probably, you know, four or five seconds. That's a good amount of time to th think, oh, shit. So now you're going to get fucked. Yeah, and you can just see where you're going to land. And I knew I was going to land on this kind of flat spot. And when you're, you know, sailing 100 feet through the air, landing on a flat spot is just not <laughs> yeah. good going 80 miles an hour. So I landed and just immediately, like... I landed on my feet, but I immediately just like exploded. Did you try like and land properly? Did you try and like, yeah, did I you mean, like try and like stick it, you know? I, like yeah, I did. Like I, I landed on my feet. It's just, it was such hard impact. You know, you're just landing on a flat yeah. surface. I mean, immediately I just like <laughs> slammed into the ground. And it's like and concrete, my, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And my knees just went like wrenching above my head and you know just You're lucky like you didn't knee yourself in the face i'm lucky i didn't like burst my spleen yeah <laughs> um so yeah and it i just started like tomahawking down the hill at that point and i remember screaming a lot uh i was wearing a full face helmet you know like for yeah. protection and it was just full of snow so i couldn't breathe and i couldn't see anything and so I'm just in this darkness and everything is so incredibly painful. And I, yeah, I like can't feel my lower body pretty much. <laughs> yeah, at, at that time, did you, did you question if you'd hurt yourself more? Like, did you, if you can't feel your lower body, we, did you start freaking out thinking it might've been like, obviously it was really bad, but did you start freaking out thinking it might be? Well, I mean, I knew that it was like. I don't know. If you've ever been super hurt, yeah. you kind of get into this. All I need to do next is like 
get to the hospital or yeah. get painkillers. Like you can't even think about what's wrong. Did you think that you might have been paralyzed, but? Or did you did you did well, you go, get to the stage where you like tried to test your move your toes or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty sure I wasn't paralyzed because of the amount of pain I could feel. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. you know, just that initial shock. Yeah, you're like, what's happening? Um, but yeah, so I knew that it was just it was really bad, and I ended up. They helped me actually get onto my snowmobile because one knee was stuck, like in a 30, 45 degree angle um, because my meniscus had like flipped over in, inside my knee, yeah. bucket handle tear. And, um, but yeah, I managed to ride my snowmobile down the hill and they had to like carry me into a car and then we drove five hours to Fairbanks. <sighs> Holy shit. So like, I couldn't even... Did they give you whiskey or anything for the... Like, what was happening in that car ride? Yeah, I don't know. I had a... I, I don't really remember. Like, I I must have taken something. Like, but I don't remember. I just remember, like, I couldn't even get out of the car to pee. Like, the girl had to come hold my shoulders. And I just, like, <laughs> you know, was kind of hanging over the back seat. And I, like pretty much peed all over her <laughs> but yeah. what are you gonna do um was she a close friend she was a, my driver yeah that's a okay well the, the snowmobile driver yeah, that, you can pee on your friends yeah in no situations so um yeah i went to the fairbanks hospital and it was a terrible experience they pretty much said i just like sprained my knees you know, and I was like, I need, I need an MRI. Like, can I at least get some painkillers, anything yeah. or a brace, anything? Cause I, you know, remember my knee is still stuck like yeah. in a 35 degree angle because there's like so much cartilage and stuff flipped around inside of it. And I don't know. They just didn't believe me essentially. Yeah. <laughs> but I managed to schedule an MRI for I don't know, two days later or something. And kind of long story short, yeah, I got the MRI result back and the doctor said that it was the worst bilateral knee damage he'd ever seen. So oh. I tore both my ACLs at the same time, uh, both MCLs, and then I strained my PCL and LCLs in both knees. I had a bucket handle tear in my left knee, along with like a two inch micro fracture, which means that the cartilage was like scraped off of my tibial plateau. So it's just bone on bone. Yeah. And then, yeah, just meniscus damage and whatever Holy else. Shit. And that was a scary point where, you know, he was like, you might not walk again normally, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of started freaking out at that point. Yeah. <laughs> shit. So recovery time, like, did he, did he give you did he give you a time frame for recovery to even like get, you know, for those, those sprains to heal? Like if you, like, obviously like there might, there was going to be such potential for long-term damage, but did he say like, you know, for the pain, for everything, it's like, you know, for the next six months, you're going to be in a wheelchair and then crutches. Like was there? Yeah. I mean, I was in a, I mean, I don't really remember exactly what he'd said. Mostly what stuck with me was the, you're not going to be walking normal again. 
And that was like, what do you mean? I'm not going to be walking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Um, but yeah, I ended up being in a wheelchair for a couple months. I had six, I had five knee surgeries at that point to fix everything within a month. That was a pretty blurry month. Yeah. Shit. A lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. Like painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just in like two straight leg braces, you know? Oh my so, God. and I had like these <laughs> hand crutches and I was, I was in Salt Lake and I'm, you know, I don't have a car. I can't run my motorbike. <laughs> so I'm like trying to get around the bus system. <laughs> with my. And I remember one time I forgot my wallet and I like didn't have money to pay to get on the bus. And I was super worried that <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to get on the bus. But yeah, the driver didn't even ask. Like, Was you know. he Mormon? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I think when you see a chick yeah. with, you know, two straight leg braces and yeah. uh, <laughs> crutches, yeah. like, this, this girl's got it hard enough. Yeah, right it's now. like, okay, yeah. she can spare the fare today. Yeah. So, um, how did you get back on the horse? Uh, well, think back here. Yeah, well, that's kind of when I started backcountry skiing because I had. I pretty much took a season, a whole year off, year and a half. And when I came back, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to ski the resort like I had been. So um, I bought a touring setup from my roommate. What's the difference between a touring setup compared to the racing? Like I know you're saying the length, so they're really... But touring, does that mean that you can... Yeah, so I mean with the like backcountry touring gear... You put uh, skins on the bottom of the skis, which allow you to walk uphill. And um, your heel clicks out, so you can kind of go into this walk mode where you're just hiking with your skis on your feet. Which is what you taught me. Yeah, that's what we did. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about climbs and mountains. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and then you get to the top of the hill and you can ski down and kind of the you know draw to all of this is that you get nice easy runs or just less haggard you know mogul runs that you would get in the resort is that because no one's been down them before yeah so you're going you know to new different places and so essentially pretty much you've had this crazy wild accident Mm -hmm. and then you've come out of it and what it's made you be is a bigger badass than what you already were (laughs) So now you're just like, all right, well, I can't do what I was doing. So instead, I'm going to go backcountry yeah. where it's isolated, hike these massive mountains <laughs> and just drop lines where no one's around. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That was the progression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Then a friend of mine, how I ended up in Iceland, I guess, for the first time, a friend of mine um, who I skied with came back from this trip and was just raging about, you know, Going, he went on a ski and sail trip. So with, with our friend Siggy, yeah, with Siggy, really? who I think you also did a podcast with yeah. recently. Um, he went out with Siggy on the boat, and you know saw whales and northern lights and skiing off the boat in these remote fjords. You know, you take the zodiac to the shore and hike up to these these crazy crazy mountains, mountains yeah. and then you ski back down to the ocean and. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> um, so, next time I was traveling in Europe in the fall, the next, the following year, I 
notice that flights to Iceland were How are you you getting your money to travel just from doing the season at the ski resort and saving up? Yeah, I mean, I was just a broke bum. Like, I think, I I mean, I just, I hitchhiked, I slept in train stations, I, the first trip I did, I think I had, you know, saved up three grand for a three-month trip around Europe, so you can just imagine it was pretty, Yeah, (laughs) it was pretty bleak. (laughs) Were you ever scared about being a female, like, and traveling so raw? Um, no, I'm not scared. I'd say definitely. I don't think you can be scared. Otherwise, I think when you're scared, you're almost inviting things to happen a little bit, or you're just becoming more vulnerable to. Well, that's something that I've noticed about your actual demeanor. Like when we, like we've been partying like this last week and it's like, there's been a lot of drunk people and I've seen some drunk guys like kind of oh, come to your way kind of thing. And just your demeanor and how you hold yourself. It's like, uh, it's like you have that energy, just not, I wouldn't say it's not to mess with you. It's just, you know, that you you can hold your own. Like even me as like a friend of yours, like having to, you know, just look out, make sure your back's right. Like even in my mind, I'm like, oh, Kerry's got this. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like just your demeanor, like, and it's, and it's not a, you're not tomboyish at all. It's just like you, you know, like you just, yeah. I mean, I would say a lot of that came from traveling really cheaply and I did do a lot of hitchhiking and I stayed in a lot of people's homes and I, um, I don't know when you, when you don't have money, you kind of rely on everyone around you to not do you favors, but kind of to get you through. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you know, you don't get to choose all the time who you're around or who helps, who decides to help you. Yeah. And sometimes those people could be, you know, someone who you would never talk to or associate with or different political views or religious views or anything. But you kind of have to open up to that and be okay with it because you're in their world and you're yeah, but that's also that's the magic of traveling and that's why people that travel open their mind so much because they see every different opinion yeah. you know what i mean they see the sides of every coin and they you kind of end up realizing that we're all just human and everyone's just doing their thing yeah i mean everyone thinks they're doing the right thing and yeah you know i don't think anyone thinks they're the one that's wrong yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that you know I don't know if there has to be like people who are right and people who are wrong. Yeah. Well, half the time there is no right or wrong. It's yeah, just right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you decided to come to Iceland from Europe. Yeah. So I got a ticket for 60 euros round trip ticket from Switzerland. And um, yeah, it was October. I had a tent and a sleeping bag with me. And I just camped and hitchhiked from Reykjavik up to the West Fjords. In winter? It was October. But yeah, it started snowing. <laughs> so, um, did you have a good sleeping bag? It was all right. Had, was that, had the wind started, the North Atlantic wind come in <laughs> full ball then? Because I can't imagine trying to set a tent up or being able to camp anywhere with this wind. Well, it was it was funny. I, I remember... The road up to Isafjordur, you know, Isafjordur is kind of in the very remote western, northwestern corner of where we, Iceland. Where we are right now. Where we are right now. 
currently yeah. sitting. Um, and I remember getting picked up by a couple locals who were, you know, very concerned about yeah. me going up because this stretch of road uh, down the south coast in the West Fjords or the southern route up to East of Fjordar, I don't know, 150 miles, 100 miles, you know, before the next town. So yeah. you're pretty isolated, isolated. and it's yeah. this dirt road. Um, and I remember I got dropped off on the top of this mountain pass, you know, by a farmer and wind starts picking up, <laughs> you start, you start to question, Yeah. you know, like, Oh God, maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah. When you got 80 mile an hour wind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so at, at the point where you are walking at a 35 degree angle forward to yeah. stay upright is... But anyways, made it. Um, and so where were you pitching your tent? Just literally on the side of the road and farms? Like, were you ever, yeah. were you ever n- nervous about getting snowed in? Cause even me living in the van, <laughs> living in a van here, like I've, I've parked in places where I've had to really be careful about getting snowed in quite often. Snowed? Like snowed in. Like oh, literally yeah. like it snowed that much at night that I can't get out in the morning. <laughs> well, so that's essentially what happened when I got here. Um, I went and set up my tent in the camping area. It was pouring down rain in October. It was cold. I spent a lot of time in the gas station, like procrastinating going outside, but got over the campground, set up my tent, had this crazy lucid dream that I was floating away in the fjord. I mean, it was, it was raining so hard. And when I woke up, there's probably two, three inches of rain in the tent. Oh my God. Like, I got out of the tent and the campground had, you know, was actually a terrible build, but it was like sloped into this lake. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, floating in the campground. For for people listening to this, being wet in this type of climate, that's that's the last thing you want. Getting your gear wet and yourself being wet oh, yeah. when it is no, so mean, cold, it over. and there's no yeah, there's no way to dry it. It's like yeah, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to suck it up. I'm gonna have to like get an Airbnb because I <laughs> yeah. So as I'm dragging my sopping wet tent out of the campground, uh, Were you cold at this point. I'm guessing like you're doing all this. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm just soaking wet, just that kind of bone chilling cold. That's. <laughs> panic mode i've i've been stuck quite a well surfing like getting changed in between between my gear and you got i had to go into panic mode quite often i remember my fr- my friend came over and did a trip with me for two weeks and the first day like the whole thing about surfing in this climate is like you've just got to have a routine you've got to be organized mm-hmm. to be able to deal with it when it is so cold and i was about to paddle out and i said okay we don't even really lock the car but where we parked i said i oh, will just lock the car and just put the keys on the <laughs> left wheel and i've come in from the surf and he's still out and i've taken my hood off my wetsuit i've taken my gloves off because they're mitts and you can't do anything with your hands mm-hmm. and i've taken my mitts off and once you do that it's like next thing you're open to the elements so quick yeah. and I'm already, my core temp's already dropped because I've already been surfing for so long. Now I've taken my mitts off and my, my hoodie off and the next thing I'm looking for the key and the key's gone. So next <laughs> thing I'm going in a panic mode going, holy fuck, because my core temp is dropping so quick and the heater's on in the van. Once I get in the van, I get changed, the heater's on, it's all, it's all it's okay. Yeah. But it's like he didn't understand. Like when he came in, I was like, fuck dude, like that's, that was a critical, that's critical, you know, like. 
you can't, you know, in Australia, blah, 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 yeah, whatever, you just sit down and hang out and wait. But, like, when you're in fucking minus 10 degrees yeah, and you've just sudden, been in, like, that's free... Like all you can think about is... <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, and he put the key on the other wheel. I ended up finding it on one of the other wheels, but I was, like, running around panicking because I was got under the car on that left wheel, like, looking everywhere, and my core temp was dropping so quick. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it can turn real, really fast here. <laughs> yeah, and when you, that happens, it's like I find in the wind, like, I've, when I was on that mountain... Um, when I was trying to summit that mountain, when I was camping out in the mountains, I, um, the wind picked up that hard. Mm-hmm. I just, I was so disorientated. I couldn't even think. It's like when you get so cold like that and you go into this panic mode, Yeah. the the elements coming at you, it's like, I can't, like, I couldn't, I, I, I was on top of that mountain and I freaked out that much. I couldn't think of what I should do, like <laughs> try making a practical decision that I literally, I had to lay down. And let the wind try go over me just to fucking get a couple of moments where I can try and think of and make a plan of what to do. Yeah. You know, and that's what people at home kind of don't realize about when you are in these climates and this and shit does go down. Like when it goes down, it's fucking, it's serious. Oh, yeah. You, you kind of enter this like, this moment, I need to do this. Yeah. You know, you it's like shit gets real else. so quick. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. In Iceland, I'd say the wind is a huge shit gets real quick factor. Yeah. Um, as far as the cold goes, I'd say that Svalbard is even more like just 10 levels up, like crazy shit gets real, really so, fast. So that's the islands up north of Iceland and off the coast of Norway. Yeah. So Iceland is, um, actually just below the Arctic circle Yeah. and Svalbard is up at 78 degrees north. It's one of the northernmost... It is the northernmost human settlement, one of them. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and you ended up there, but let's get... Let's... Yeah, let's jump back to Iceland for a second. Okay. So you first got to Iceland. Yeah, soaking wet in the tent. Um, <laughs> got an Airbnb. It ended up snowing like two feet. I went and met... I just walked into the cafe. I looked up online this... Um, you know, say, or ski and sail company and found that they were here. So just went into the cafe and asked if I could talk to somebody and sat down, talked with a guy. So you came with intention to get a job? Well, yeah, I, just, I was like, do you, do you need an intern? You know, because yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, my friend told me about this really rad place. How do I get there? Like, yeah. I'm not going to pay to go on a <laughs> yeah. sailboat expedition for a week. You know, I'm just a broke, broke-ass ski bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in my mind, I was like, yeah, I, def- I have to work there. And, you know, I'd been skiing my entire life, but this was the first year I'd ever back or second year I'd ever backcountry skied. So I just asked if I could intern and said I could do whatever. Um, so, yeah, the guy... Ended up calling me back in March and said, "Yeah, we need you in two weeks." So I quit my job and. What was your job? I was at the the hostess at. Oh, so you the went restaurant back to the job. resort. Yeah. yeah, and then so you got this call and you came back. Yeah, and I worked out here for two seasons. It was just crazy. We're out in a remote lodge. Um, you have to take a sailboat or well a boat to get out to it, and. We stayed in this lodge that they were renovating at the time. It's a farmhouse from the 1800s. And it was super run down. They were just starting to 
renovate it and start these ski trips. So, so I was so no roads to this area. No, no roads. This... Um, yeah, only accessible by boat. And there used to be people that lived out there. So these there's all these abandoned towns out there um, with these houses that people use in the summer now, but almost nobody's out there in winter. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the house had no heating. There was no running water. No wood here for firewood because there's no fucking There's no trees wood in, in Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> so we were burning like people's floorboards and just weird, <laughs> weird things in the fireplace. What, from the other, the abandoned farmhouses? <laughs> yeah, just random things in the fireplace. I mean, you'd yeah. <laughs> go to clean the, you know, the soot and there's just like three handfuls of nails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's where driftwood comes in handy too. Yeah. One, one thing this place does have sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just out there. So you became... So how did that work? So the boat would take skiers out over to you and stay in the lodge with you, and then you would take them guide... You would be the guide to take them up the mountains and ski these these runs? Yeah. And the first year I was tail guiding, so I was just kind of learning what... I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, absolutely no idea. Um <laughs> So, but yeah, the second year I ended up guiding almost every trip, but you just take people out and traverse the fjords and go ski and take them up for these beautiful ski lines and ski down to the ocean. And it's an incredibly remote experience. So you've got to, you've got to guide them up. So in a way that they're being safe from avalanches, like, yeah, is it? ever close to shit getting real you know like did you ever have people it seems like people that would do these trips would be people that would be quite good skiers you know it's like why yeah. else would you go to something so raw or did you ever have people that just didn't really know what they're doing and you had to guide them and like you're sitting there going fuck this is i'm gonna take this person up this wild mountain to climb this mountain and, and then drop them down it yeah i mean i'd say 90 percent of the time people knew pretty well what they were doing uh you know, not to be racist or anything, but I had this Chinese guy one time, though, who, I don't know, saw some really nice-looking photos and thought that it would be a great experience. Yeah. He had no idea how to put his skins on. Like, we get dropped off in this fjord the first day, and the boat leaves, you know, and the boat's not coming back. We've got to make it over to the next fjord. And this guy just can't walk. Like, he doesn't know how to do it. He puts, so you know the skins that we yeah, put on the first yeah. day? So he, he, he puts them on backwards. So essentially he can't slide. He can't go up the hill. Holy shit. You know, and yeah. so we kind of get him sorted out. And there's, yeah. the people in the group are really helpful as well. But get him sorted out. And I remember getting up on top of the fjord. And it kind it's a big plateau up there. And it just goes completely white out. So you can't see anything. I'm navigating with gps you know trying to find the route down like just looking at the screen so, so for people when it goes white out it's like explain that can you just explain what white out is for a second um so i mean in this case it's the ground is white the snow is white the sky is white and there's no difference between what you're standing on and yeah. like and you can't see a few meters in front of you. That's how you people get see. lost to you so much. They get disorientated. Yeah, you can't you see t- like three feet in front of you, yeah. you know? So 
you're, I mean, I'm just feeling the ground with my, you lose your sense of balance. Yeah. And you're on a fucking mountain. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, windy and cold and. And massive drops to the left and right, loose rocks. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. It's definitely high tension. <laughs> um, one of these cords is buzzing. There we that go. One. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I remember that's the first time I ended up leading a group in a circle and because it's Chinese guy, you know, I'm trying to like lead the group, but then this guy's having trouble walking. So lead the group a hundred meters, go back, try to help this guy forward. Next thing you know, you know, I'm looking down and there's tracks in front of us and I'm like, what the fuck? Like there's not anybody else up here. I'm looking at my GPS. I'm like, fuck, we just went in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's at that point where I kind of turn to the group and I'm like, guys, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, everyone is just over it. They're not having a good time. Yeah. You know, it's fucking white out. It's windy. Everyone's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun time in the mountains. And here I am just like, yeah, we just did a big circle. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to explain. Yeah. Oh, man. And, and the thing is, too, like when people are pain like people come in with a certain expectation too but when you are doing these trips it's so raw and like i suppose sometimes yeah you, know, you got to remind people that yeah you know you're yeah. here on an expedition not like a you're not here on a five-star resort to yeah you know. so i don't know i mean we ended up we came down and everything was fine you know but it's definitely it's being in the mountains is always humbling and it just is constantly testing you you think you know something, and then next thing you know, you're <laughs> walking over your tracks again. Too. Yeah. And then, so you became a backcountry guide. Yeah, so. yeah. And then it just happened, and it was pretty funny. I remember that first year, you know, I had had no certifications. Um, I just pretty much the previous year's experience. And I remember just freaking out all the time about, I just had, like, horror scenarios going through my head you know like oh my god if there's an avalanche right here like where's my evacuation route like somebody breaks their leg here how am i going to call how are we going to get them down and i would just be walking up the mountains with these things constantly running through my head did you ever have any situations (laughs) like that arise um i never had an injury i witnessed a guy get carried away in a really massive avalanche one time though oh shit are you do you want can you tell me about it <laughs> yeah. i mean it all ended up fine it was it was just a weird freak accident but um so i guess essentially my guiding went from iceland and i met this kind of crazy character named steve oh, yeah. um, who maybe you also yeah. spoke with but he was talking about how he did stuff in svalbard which is that remote northern location and in Svalbard I mean the te- it's just more extreme like the temperatures are minus 25 minus 30 um there's sea ice there's polar bears there's it's there's no roads everyone's either on snowmobiles or boats yeah and yeah I remember going up there on this trip and uh I was with a really strong group of people, actually. We climbed to the top of this ridge, and it's beautiful. It's sunny. 
um, you know, we're all excited walking around on this ridge and I see this guy walking out and there's, there's a cornice that's actually going onto the side that we hiked up that we were going to ski. And cornice, just explain what that is. Cornice means like a overhanging chunk of snow. Yeah. So, you know, we're walking up the slope and there's just a big chunk of snow just kind of hanging on it. And you typically don't want to walk on the cornice, you know, because if it falls down, then you're going to fall down the slope with it. So we're walking on this ridge and the guy kind of steps back onto the opposite slope, you know, that we're not going to ski. It's just he steps back onto it and he feels the snow going out from under his feet. And so he thinks it's the cornice that's falling. But actually, it's the snow from the other side, and it started an avalanche. So he, you know, kind of, I don't know, he panics, but his reaction, because he thought it was the cornice, was to actually jump farther into the avalanche. And it was just, yeah, probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen in the mountains. It was a massive bull. Um, the crown of this avalanche was probably 400 to 800 meters across. So that means all the snow, you know, 400 meters, it just cracked. You could just see this crack going all the way across. And I was probably about 15, 20 feet away from this guy as he starts just flailing backwards. And, you know, everyone's like, Pull your Abby bag. Pull your Abby bag. So he's got an Abby bag on him. Do, do, can you just quickly explain what that is? Yeah. So is an it? Abby bag is, uh, it's like a big air pillow that you can pull and it inflates if you're going to be in an avalanche. Yeah. And it helps you stay on top of the avalanche and helps prevent. So um, you just started screaming this at him as you've seen it. Yeah. Crack. We're just watching. It's Was just there a sound? Like, crack. does it make a sound, that avalanche cracking? Because I, I heard... When I was out in the mountains, I heard some... um, Lumps. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't remember specifically the sound of the crack, but when the snow starts going down the hill, yeah, it just starts to make this, like... Yeah. And this deep... Roll down, yeah. Um, So we're watching him just fall down the slope, and it was probably a 700... It was about a 700-meter slope that he fell down. Um, and when you see somebody get in an avalanche, the first thing you want to do is keep eyes on them, yeah. you know, to see if you can see where they're going to end up. And I remember everybody, we lost, we lost him for probably 15, 20 seconds, which is a really long time yeah. when you're, you know. So is that because he's <laughs> under the snow? Yeah, we don't you? know. Like you can't see it. There's so much just snow, you know, billowing paint pillows of snow and stuff that you can't see anything yeah so um i actually spotted him i just saw this tiny little black dot down there you know 700 meters down (sighs) fucking hell so it's literally so he's jumped it started all the snow started caving you try to keep eyes on him he literally went down the hill 700 meters with this pile of snow now the thing is too for 
people don't avalanche people think that's i think some people and i had that in my head at first like powdery snow just falling down but it's a slab it's ice like yeah it can be a slab of ice coming down it's like a slab of concrete oh yeah because it's I mean, frozen ice blocks. coming yeah yeah exactly um and this wasn't super hard but it was yeah not friendly either um so yeah i saw him down there and like i saw him get up and start walking and you're kidding me we're just like holy shit i mean it was insane that he one of the things that helped him was that he the avalanche started he was on the top of it you know if he would have been in the middle of the slope and the avalanche came down on top of him it probably would have been bad yeah and then also he had his airbag so Um, did he pull it straight away yeah like as he was falling off the ridge he pulled it and you know that helped him like stay on top when he was riding down but he lost his snowboard it was on his backpack and i remember me and a friend of mine went around the next day to get the snowboard from the debris pile and the debris pile was like i don't know 10 15 football fields big i mean it was ma- it was just like yeah just massive holy shit yeah and it was definitely one of those moments where you know, we were a pretty big group who were experienced and we, you know, knew how to use our gear. But it was just a moment where I was like, wow, if... He's lucky it wasn't... You're lucky it wasn't the Chinese guy. <laughs> no, but I mean, if... <laughs> yeah. But, like, if he would have been buried, I just... I don't think we would have found him. Like, it was just so big. Like, the yeah. debris pile was so big. Holy shit. So... Yeah, that's probably the closest I've gotten to Avalanche story, which is pretty good because yes, everyone I, came I out good, okay. I, so I just bite my nails. <laughs> I, yeah, okay. would you mind getting us a beer, please, brother? <laughs> <laughs> cool, then. Hey, brother. Your brother, <laughs> give me a beer. Oh, uh, so, so if you see guiding for a few years and doing this crazy backcountry guiding, so where, where did the fisherwoman? Where did the going offshore fishing come into this? Um, yeah, a good friend of mine, um, she got into it, just someone we knew. And she I, she got into it a couple of years before I did, and I remember her raving about it, just being like... Thanks, man. Oh, great. Thanks, Ed. Really appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she got into it, and... Uh, just was raving about it like you have to come up here you'll love it it's so cool and i guess for a little background she um got a job as a deckhand on a commercial salmon fishing boat in bristol bay alaska which is kind of one of the notoriously you know gnarly um fisheries i guess and so yeah she got me a job and i went up there and that first year was was actually my first time ever out on a boat in the ocean. <laughs> Shut up. Did you get seasick? Yeah. Yeah, I got really seasick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know what you were in for? Because, like... No. Okay, be, be, <laughs> being a girl, no. too, like, like, even I know that, like, the f- fishermen here in this part of the world, it, they're fucking hardcore. You know what I mean? Like to be out there in this storm and these weather systems in these temperatures, 
and fishing, it's just like I know without doing it that it's fucking extreme. So, yeah. like, <laughs> did you know that it was extreme? Like, I mean, or did you just know it was ex- extreme and just think, yeah, I'll do it, whatever? And then you get there and you're like, I mean, there's you know the things that you just don't even think. Well, first of all, I had just no idea what I was doing, you know, so I get up there. I don't know what a gill netter is, actually. Like, I have no idea what type of fishing we're even doing. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, um, give me a job. Let's go do it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we get on the boat and the captain's like, it, me and the other crew member were both green that year, which means we'd never fished before. We'd never yeah. been on boats. So, you just imagine this guy, you know, this kind of hardened sailor, like, having to tell these two just <laughs> completely new guys how to tie a line around a cleat and, yeah. you know, how, like, what the net is and how to use the hydraulic systems and all this stuff. Um, but I remember we went out for the first day and we're, me and this other guy, Derek, he was my deckhand or my crewmate, and we're trying to, like, do really well, you know, we yeah. want to... Do well, perform well for this captain. And um, first day out, we had just gotten wasted the night before. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how it happened, but we just got picked up on the docks and there were people just shoving beers in our hands. And maybe they thought it was funny when we told them that we had to leave super early and they just kept giving us shots, you know, like, oh, these guys are going to have a great day. Yeah, yeah. That's a good introduction yeah, into the exactly. fishing industry. So, yeah, I mean, we come back wasted. We don't wake up on time. And, uh, like, after setting four or five alarms. So, find, you know, get up, take the boat off the dock, and Captain says we can go back and sleep in our bunks while he's driving down to the fishing grounds. So we're sleeping in the bunks, and it's, like, we're in a 32-foot boat, so 10, 10 meters, and... We're probably in... That's not, that's not that big. No, it's pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're... Start going through, you know, six-foot swell. Seven-foot swell, which isn't huge, but it's enough to keep the boat rocking. Yeah, it's gonna... Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we're just... You sleep in the hole or the bow of the boat, yeah, which is... Up the front. Up the front. And you have, you know, these little bunk beds that you sleep in and... Imagine you're in the bow with a boat and you're starting to hit these waves and you're just kind of yeah. bouncing all over the place. I, that's why I'd rather sleep up the back. You know? Yeah. Well, so the back is all the fish holds. So, uh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, <laughs> it's where we store yeah. the fish. So, yeah, yeah. you're not, probably not going to be mm. bunking up in there. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, anyways, uh, finally, Captain's like, get the fuck out of bed. Uh, like, we got to go fish. And we both are so seasick at that point. I mean, we're just laying in bed, like, trying not to puke. And once Maybe you start something puking, to do with the night before. You're, you're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, first thing, like, immediately when I stand up, I just, like, go to the back deck and start puking violently. Do you reckon the captain's like, oh. Damn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, he's teaching us how to fish. There's, like, these hydraulics. The net's going out super fast. There's things on the boat are going really fast it's windy so there's mesh kind of flying all over the place and we're just trying not to fuck up yeah <laughs> and we've got just no idea what we're doing and here i am just puking every 15 minutes you know periodically but i can't stop you yeah know, working because 
it's like the first day and if i can't that'd probably be the hardest the closest i've been in my life to like wanting to die would be (laughs) oh yeah seasick it's just like once you Oh my god! Because we we, <laughs> we used to say, me and a couple of friends, I only got together, and I've had been really seasick a couple of times, and I'm just like on the deck of the boat, they're throwing buckets of water on me, I'm laying in my own spew, and the only thing I'm just like, put me out of my fucking misery, <laughs> you know? The whole world's spinning around. It's just yeah, and you're yeah. working. You're like oh yeah. So I mean, I'm pulling in these you know lines <laughs> to pull in the net, and simultaneously just ralphing over the side of the boat and and you know i just you can't stop like you just have to keep and you just dry heaving like trying to keep moving it's terrible yeah like you feel like like if you want to feel like do you reckon did you impress the captain by getting through it oh yeah i think so (laughs) well because i remember at one point he asked like he's like are you sure you want to do this and i was like yeah, <laughs> I'm not going home now. Like maybe it was a ploy. Maybe the the captain was like, "All right, these are the newbies." Told everyone on on, on the dock, get these guys drunk, exactly. and get see them what they wasted. got. Yeah. So we can see what they got. You passed the test. Fuck. <laughs> like I puked for I don't know somewhere from four to six hours for every fifteen minutes. Like it was it was probably one of the rougher. And was this just a, a day trip? So you're out. This, this is just out a warm of Alaska. Yeah. yeah. And this is in Alaska. Like just. Yeah. So what happens on the boat is uh, we're fishing in a really remote place. So you go out on your gill netter. And the first year I didn't set foot back on land for 30 days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like full on. Yeah. And you deliver your fish to these other big boats and then you just keep going fishing. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. So it's. Fuck, I, I can imagine being on a smaller boat too, especially in those oceans, would be a lot scarier and a lot harder. Yeah, well, you start, yeah, you get knocked around a lot. But I'm guessing too, you'd probably have to smart, start on the smaller boats and work up to the big boats. Would that be- no, that's not really how it works. It's um, it's just a different... So Bristol Bay is regulated uh, to having a certain boat length and it's supposed to keep kind of the competition even. Yeah. It's um, just so one massive big dog boat doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Take, yeah. So every boat in Bristol Bay is 32 feet. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, that's what it is. And, um, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with boats. Yeah, so how many crew would be on one trip on a 32 foot boat? You wouldn't think, you know, maybe three or four blokes. Yeah, exactly. People. So me, captain, one other crewmate, and then a lot of times you have a peak, a third crew come for a peak which is like the two weeks of insanity yeah so run us through a typical fishing day or month so you go it was it mainly you go out for a month yeah about that yeah yeah anywhere from four to six weeks something like that and and yeah okay run us through a day because the, the hardest people i've met out here are fishermen i would not yeah. fuck with them you know, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I would say that days don't really, like, they're just, they're not days anymore, you know, because... Are you fishing in winter or summer? We're we're in the summer, so... So that's sunlight, pretty much. What is that, sunlight, 24-7? Yeah, well, yeah, so at the beginning, there's almost 24-hour sunlight, and then by the end, you've got, I don't know, four or five, six, seven hours of darkness, and those dark hours start to get really long, because... Um, so at the beginning of the month, 
the fishing is super regulated. Like there's a biology. So there's five different rivers, uh, districts in Bristol Bay and a biologist runs each one of them. So the biologist is in charge of saying, uh, how many fish have gone up the river and there's goals for each year that, you know, there needs to be this number of fish to keep the process sustainable. Yeah. So they open the fishing first. So this salmon then? Yeah. Sockeye salmon. Yeah. So you need to make sure there's enough because that, that's a whole system that goes on with those salmon going up to, well, they, they go lay their eggs Mm -hmm. to feed the bears. Like every, there's like a whole cycle that goes just from the salmon run. Yeah, so I mean, it's important to regulate that and keep yeah. it. And so that's the number one goal. I mean, there's yeah. never, it's never based on the fishermen's needs. It's always based on the fish, which yeah. is great because that's yeah. how it has to be. Um, but yeah, so at the beginning, you know, it kind of starts out slow. You get to fish for like three or four hours a day and you're just hanging out on the boat. And um, But then when the run comes, it just like hits immediately. And all of a sudden there's just, hundreds of thousands of fish in the ocean and yeah i don't know next thing you know it's just a massive whirlwind and you're fishing for 17 to anywhere from 17 to 24 hours a day and so sometimes the boat is just on non-stop for two weeks how are you how are you guys regulating this is this in shift work he's doing shift work to i mean it's hard to say because you just don't know when there's going to be the huge pushes of fish. And when there's huge pushes of fish, you want everybody working. Yeah. You know? Um, so, I mean, typically night's a little slower. So you'll let somebody sleep for an hour or two, and then <laughs> and then you'll get to sleep for an hour. So, um, for, in a, say, like a 20, what would be the average? So you work, and when, when that fish, when those fish are really hitting, what's the average sleep that you'd get a day? I mean, some days you get one to two hours, you know, maybe you're taking like 20 minute naps or something. Other times you'll get five or six. But never in one hit? Not typically, no. Like to get a four hour, five hour like night is like, that's... How the fuck do you survive in that? Oh, it's terrible. You wake up in your bunk in the morning or whenever you're getting out and you just, you know, when you get out of your bunk and... You just don't know when you're going to see your bed again. <laughs> and it's just this. <laughs> Are you drinking lots of coffee? Yeah. I mean, just like living on coffee. And um, I don't know. It's kind of a trip. You start going kind of nuts because you're literally living on this little square platform on the back of the boat with one other guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's no cell phone service out there. There is a lot of downtime between, you know, sometimes it's just crazy and you're just pulling thousands of fish onto the boat and you're trying to do it as fast as you can because you want to get the net in the water to pull on more fish. Um, but other times you're just hanging out with the net in the water and just bullshitting about everything because you've got nothing else to do. Yeah. That send you wild, send you crazy. Yeah, like you feel like you're in eternity. Yeah. Like sometimes you just, you don't know if it's going to end. <laughs> I can imagine getting back to land 
it'd be so overstimulating because this has happened to me. Like we've, when we're sailing too, especially being, doing big passages and everything, we get back and suddenly it's just a party and you could just go too hard too quick because everyone's <laughs> just so excited. Yeah, there's just some crazy adrenaline running through everybody and yeah. everyone gets real wasted. Does the vibe, like being on the boat, like I know like in jobs that I've done where people are getting overworked and everything and getting tired and everything, people are getting frustrated, getting angry at each other, especially when you're so isolated, you just got one other person, so it's so easy to blame. Then you start like, I can imagine this would be a big thing. Like it could be pretty hard. Or do you constantly have in your head like, that's my team person, they're the only <laughs> person there, I've got to just fucking get along with them and like, must it must get like... Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you have to do. Is just kind of be like, all right, I got to accept this guy is being on my side because yeah. you can't hate. If you hate somebody out there, it's going to be hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess on our boat, we definitely have, we'll get, we'll have disputes and, but usually we, we're not super passive about it yeah. typically. Like, but he's all over tired. Like I could just imagine like. The fish are coming. Someone's having they've had a twenty minute nap. They, you know, they're just so tired. Then you go oh. wake them up, and you're like, "Get out of bed now!" Or the you know. oh, dude, like Tara, she's our captain. She's badass. She owns oh, so the you boat. Got a, you got a female captain? Yeah, she's my she's my good friend. Oh, really? um, who got me the first fishing job? Oh, really? Yeah. So I was with her when we like first, you know, well, when she the first year she had the boat. Yeah. So going through that was crazy, you know. We actually so, had to take the boat, like, I don't know, anyways. But is is there a lot of women in the industry? Uh, I couldn't imagine, I'd say like, maybe 20. In the, 10? Like, in the whole industry. <laughs> in the whole... <laughs> like, in Bristol Bay. Oh, okay. 20, maybe, yeah. And then how many men? A few thousand. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's more women, though, and there's, like, yeah, handful of women captains and... Uh, yeah, that's fucking badass. So, what about um, like storm systems and everything? Like in the summer, I suppose in the summer there's less storm systems compared to the winter. But like, I can imagine it still get really wild out there. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes you're fishing on the lake, which is really nice, and you're like, wow, I'm almost on summer vacation, you know? Yeah. But um, fuck, this year I remember. <laughs> the first week of fishing it opened up 24 hours you know which is usually it kind of builds up a little bit and it just seemed like this year was just immediately just 24 hours on and we didn't even have our peak person there yet because it was so early so just me and the one other crewmate and we just had this storm come in it was like i don't know anywhere from six to ten foot waves and you're on your 32 foot boat. Yeah, 32 and foot boat. And when you're on the back deck, you know, so the net comes onto the boat, and your job is to take the fish out of the net by hand. So, wait, do you have the net out, or you're pulling the net in when you're in this swell? Uh, well, you got to do it all. You got to set the net out, and then you got to take it back in. So, even though there was a storm, you still put the net out? Oh, yeah. No, you got to fish, like, in all weather. All, yeah. You, you just fish every time you can. You're not scared about like falling off the boat, or are, are you at this point? If that's really picking up, are you strapping into the boat? Like, are you hooking in? So you got a lifeline on the boat? Um, no, you can't, and you can't really even wear a life jacket because there's 
so much web and stuff that if you get it caught on you, you could get like ripped over the boat or get ripped into a hydraulic system or a winch or something. So it's actually safer to have, not have that safety gear. Yeah. So, and actually you have to cut all of like the buttons off of your jacket and, you know, we're just in these big rain jackets yeah. and rubber boots. You're just living in rubber for a month. Yeah. It's great. Just sweating. Just Do you sweating. Have a shower? Do you shower? No shower on the boat. Yeah, so for a month. <laughs> baby you're wipe showers. Thinking. Yep, baby wipe showers. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. No shaving, no, <laughs> no <laughs> washing. <laughs> Once in a while, you can get off and take a shower on one of the bigger boats, the tenders. Yeah. I think I might have had one shower this year, two showers, one shower. Oh, and then one time I had to like get into the ocean, and because we got the net stuck in our prop, so yeah. That was kind of another shower. Damn it, hardcore! What happens when you get to when you get back to the port and there's all the all the fishermen and there's is just straight to the pub? Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's just rough. wild, like getting off. Yeah, what are the men like that are up there? Are they just roar and wild. It's like, <laughs> um, yeah, some of them. I mean, and then some of them are just kind of these, you know wiry or chubby dudes you know younger guys who came up to go fishing in alaska yeah 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 it's like a rite of passage kind of thing yeah but i mean there's normal i don't know you could see just the most random people up there too like but you know that they've got something that's like okay you're up here you're gonna be hardcore Yeah. yeah even though you might just be this funny looking Oh, no, you know, not funny looking, but... Yeah, but you you, you don't suit that rough looking fish. Yeah, you don't necessarily I, I you mean. fit the rough image, you know. Yeah. But you can still be pretty, yeah, hardcore. Yeah. I mean, Ed could be up there. Yeah, we could all... Just see him up there and you're like, all right. Yeah. Okay, so now we've just covered you being a badass in Iceland, covered you being a badass up in Alaska. Now, Swalberg... <laughs> That's the, the third badass thing that she does. I want... <laughs> so, yeah, let's get back to how did you end up in Svalbard? I'm not even... I can never say this <laughs> fucking name right. Svalbard. It's Swal- a D on the end. Svalbard. What yeah, am I yeah, saying? I'm saying a, a G, Svalbard. Yeah. <laughs> Svalbard. <laughs> Svalbard. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Svalbard. I, so I met Steven Ertla in Iceland after that first season actually that I was here uh interning and I I went to dinner with these this couple who um lived up in Svalbard and I'd never really heard of it or thought much of it and I just started listening to some of their stories and what they were doing up there and they had just gone on a trip with uh, just a ski brand called Solomon. Um, And they did this production where they shot uh, skiers skiing in front of the solar eclipse. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm listening to the story of this production, and, you know, they're showing sea ice and polar bears and all this stuff. So kind of, again, I was like, all right, I got to get up there. (laughs) Well, even just talking to him myself, I've already said to him, if you have a 
a production or something that you need a volunteer anyone like, <laughs> we, i will fly we... from australia to go experience <laughs> this stuff yeah yeah um yeah so i was kind of talking to them and i was same i just pulled the same intern line and i was like you guys need an intern <laughs> <laughs> i mean at this point i was kind of a guide so yeah. i actually had a couple things under my belt um and i never really heard from them i didn't get their contact and it was just kind of a really drunken night in Reykjavik and we kind of part ways and I didn't didn't have any of their information yeah right <laughs> so in September I spent like a month trying to search for this guy online well going through Facebook like <laughs> yeah friends, just friends like, Steve his name was Steve yeah it was, it was Steve something <laughs> <that him>? Steve <laughs> yeah. like British guy named Steve yeah. um and I finally found their website and called him up or emailed him and was like, I want to come. I really want to come up. And yeah, they're like, okay, come up and come up whenever you want. So I booked a ticket in February, which now thinking, but I also had no idea that it's completely dark in February. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's 24 hour darkness. <laughs> so, I was like, I was like, sweet yeah <laughs> I, had, I had no idea so you know i flew up there and it's just pitch black out and i'm like okay oh this is depressing <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking minus 30 degrees and yeah. it's black everywhere <laughs> <laughs> um and so but it was crazy i got off the plane at like 9 p.m and i remember you know these two guys wes and steve are like okay Here's your snowmobile. We're gonna go for a a ski right now, and like straight off the plane, straight in. Yeah, here. like pitch black out. I think that must be like what Steve does. He just throws you straight <laughs> in the deep, and that's what he did to me. I went to ask him about a route across the mountains. I like, thought there might be a track or something. He goes, "Oh, you should just go straight down to the mountains and try," and then just tells Kerry to pull the car up and grab me some gear and go straight to, out to the mountains. <laughs> I was just like sitting there, like. Oh, All right, we're really doing it. Yeah, like I just, I just thought he was going to get online and be like, "Oh yeah, you should go up this ridge if you want to go across that." He's like, "No, here's the stuff. Go do it." Yeah, just, yeah. So continue. So he's throwing you in the deep end, giving you. Yeah. So I mean, just I mean, it was just a short little thing, you know. We go out and it's it's like minus ten, minus fifteen, or Fahrenheit. So this is I don't know what is that in Celsius. Fucking cold. Fucking cold. <laughs> <laughs> like minus 20 something. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably throw water into the air and it freezes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Air. Like your nose hairs are just, you're like picking them out of. Yeah. Like It's ice. It's ice. And it's just pitch black. And I remember we hiked like 10 minutes up this little ridge and it's just fucking icy. It's snowing. It's minus 20. Like... It's 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea where I am. You know, we hike up this little thing and I'm like, so is there like any cliffs or anything I need to be worried about? Because I can't see anything. Yeah, you're going to ski in the dark. What do you have? Yeah, headlamp. I had like the shittiest, you know, minus two lumen headlamp too. Like, can't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and it was really, that experience was actually crazy over the next six weeks, weeks like watching the landscape appear, you know? Because imagine yeah, you're just... you can't in, see anything. You come and you're just in blackness. And then over the next six weeks, like slowly just watching the light come back and you're slowly starting to, 
even see the mountains around you. How, how does it start? Does it start with like five minutes of sunlight, ten minutes a day? Like, how does it, or yeah. is it just suddenly a bit of sun? Like, how no, does... it's like uh, it starts with just dusk and dawn. So you never actually have like pure sunlight. It just, I remember one morning, you know, we went out and one half of that sky was this, you know, pastel pink. And the other half is kind of this light pastel blue. And then within like three, four hours, it had just switched. And then it was dark again. (laughs) So it's sunrise and sunset. Yeah. Sunrise and sunset. Yeah. So just imagine that you're... Holy shit. And and it's not even the whole sunrise or sunset. It's just, at first, it's just like the very edges. Yeah. Like the color that you... Like when the sun's gone down and it's gone down for a bit and then you looked and it's like the last little bit of Exactly. So it just starts out like that. And then it like slowly grows, you know, so, and then you're just getting sunrise and sunset without either, even seeing the sun until finally the sunlight comes above. The first time the sun came above the horizon in town was March 11th, I think. And I got there like February 11th. <laughs> Shit. Was that a mad, was it magical? <laughs> yeah, they have like a massive celebration. <laughs> yeah, really? You can imagine. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but then it's just, I don't know, it's still crazy. The shadows are just incredibly long and blue and, you know, the sun's only a couple degrees above the horizon, so you're just getting these crazy colors and yeah. it's really... Yeah. Also, because the sun's so low, the shadow, like when you're walking along your shadow, it isn't like straight under you. It's no, like it's never, projected it's along. super long and it doesn't have like the same color as if the sun is above you. It has this really deep blue color, so all the mountains and everything have these deep blue shadows. It's really cool. Really? So, <laughs> so what did you do up there? <laughs> well, I, I came to work, um, and there was no work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Steve was, they were really struggling to get people. So Steve runs a production company. He runs yeah. a production company, and this yeah. is kind of, I wouldn't say it was the first years he was running it, but... Kind of close to that before he, I'd say now he's like fairly successful. And yeah. this was definitely um, the growing phase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was just sleeping in a spare guest bedroom yeah. in their house. And, you know, the storage room was just like a moldy closet under this like outside stairs pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So if you weren't doing any work, was it just playtime? Yeah, it was kind of one of those situations again. Too. It was like here's your snowmobile just go have fun and the first week they brought me out and taught me how to shoot the rifle these old german mausers and you have to take them to go out of town because of the polar bears um so went out rifle shooting got my like certifications and then i just found a couple friends around town and we would just go snowmobiling all day and ski when you're talking about town like how many people are we talking about in this town like a uh, thousand two thousand yeah something around that it's actually fairly decent size well i i would say from my standards um it's got a university there like the arctic university they do, do glaciology and um geology and avalanche uh, so, studies yeah, right. up there so yeah so did you see polar bears? Yeah, saw polar bears. 
<laughs> um, not from super close. So there no like scary polar bear experiences. Yeah. There's tons of people that have got crazy polar bear experiences though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Steve was telling me because like when he was teaching me how to build a snow cave, and they were saying, I remember like I was freaking out. He goes, "Man, it could be worse. It could be in Swalberg." Yeah. And I was like, well, "Why?" And he goes, "He said that he's seen polar bears like <laughs> dig through like slabs of ice to get to fish or get to something they can smell underneath or like something that's been that's dug into the snow like a little animal or something." And he said, "Like if you're in a snow cave in a polar bear it would be able to smell you through the snow and we just start smashing the roof in <laughs> <I'm> like, yes <laughs> yeah yeah so there's that <laughs> yeah yeah so there's that <laughs> there's the minus 40 degrees there's that too yeah 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 no that's the place that gets fucking real real that's the coldest i've ever been like i we went base camping for a week and i lost feeling in my toes one night and I woke up and I just like couldn't feel my feet <laughs> and yeah I couldn't feel my feet for probably three four months after that oh really so that's that's getting close to um to frostbite yeah I mean it was I had frostbite uh but I didn't like lose my feet but yeah definitely lost all the nerves in my feet for a long time and the scariest thing is I'm guessing you would have had all the gear as well like all the proper gear yeah yeah i was in like a minus 50 sleeping bag but i actually had to take the liner out and give it to my friend who was in only like a minus 20 bag okay thanks yeah i was (laughs) like here here you go abe (laughs) yeah um so so if you wake up because steve told me he was he was you know teaching me things about getting too cold like pumping doing things to pump your the blood through your body like when your fingers go Uh Because that's my biggest problem. My my oh, fingers and feet, but it's just like, it's so painful when they go. Yeah. You're saying like, you know, like pumping your shoulders. It actually gets the, the heart pumping the blood down to your hands. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've had to, since he's told me, I've actually had to do that. Yeah. It's often. a great, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just sitting there next thing. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> next just thing you're just like pumping. pumping. You're like, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. Let's pump this down. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. So what do you do for your feet when you woke up? Oh, I just started like rubbing. Well, so the thing is you have to go on polar bear watch when you're base camping. So what's, what do you mean by base camping? Uh, so, I mean, you just go out with the snowmobiles and set up a bunch of tents and with your friends and go try to, well, at this, this point we were skiing a face that the, actually the Solomon production had been on that I'd heard about and I yeah. really wanted to go see so so that's like your little tent city you yeah set you build up a... a little tent city and you've got friends down there and uh yeah you gotta someone has to be awake at all times in case a polar bear comes so in the night you've got to get up for an hour and a half and do your polar bear watch <laughs> yeah. so what does that consist of you just just fucking walking around the camp in minus 20 and pitch black <laughs> looking for polar bears with a fucking gun <laughs> yeah did you ever have one come close? No, I haven't. What's the protocol? Like if a polar bear comes, you shoot in the air, try to scare it away? Like what do you... Yeah, I mean, yeah, first thing you try to do is scare it. You're, the last resort is to shoot the polar bear. No, like but no, like, do you shoot in the air, like a sound to kind of scare it? Yeah, you can shoot in the air, like just above you. You know, you never want to shoot behind it. Uh, you've got flare guns that you can shoot. So you never um, want to shoot behind it? Well, because the bullet will keep going in it. 
Like, no, well, especially with the flare guns. Like, so first thing you do, you have a flare gun, right? Yeah. And you're going to shoot that off to try to scare it away before you start shooting the rifle. Yeah. So, you know, you shoot the flare up in the air, um, but you don't want to shoot the flare over the polar bear. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it'll scare it towards you. Yeah. Okay. I get you. I get you. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you put off some warning shots with the rifle and... If the polar bear is continuing to come, you know, there's kind of a safety protocol. You get down, get into your firing position. If it's within a certain amount, then you... Yeah. Yeah, but... You would have to. Last yeah. resort. And because polar bears, from what I know, they're... Aren't they grizzlies, but just have like a different pigmentation in there? Or, yeah. but, but I heard like there's, <laughs> they're a little bit different in grizzlies and they're like fucking like they're way more hecticer. Maybe because they're hungrier. Yeah, I don't know much about the about the biology of about the polar bears. about the <laughs> genealogy of the polar bear other, history. Yeah, other than they're just fucking badasses. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That scared the shit out of me. Yeah. So what's next now? So now you're back in Iceland. I'm back in Iceland. You're yeah. working back with Steve in the production company. Yeah, it's and been a funny winter. <laughs> And are you gonna go? Are you gonna go fishing again? Yeah, I'm gonna go fishing. Um, I have so, this flying project that I'm working on before this, so. Yeah. Wait. Just before we get into that, because that's the last thing I want to ask you about. But is that how you've set your life up now? That summertime you're just going fishing up in Alaska, mm-hmm. and you make your money, and then wintertime you're guiding, like whether it be Svalberg or Iceland. Yeah. You're ski guiding. Yeah, and I mean it's, I. I would say loose ski guide. I, I ski guide, definitely. But yeah. I really only do the trips that I like to do. <laughs> Which is why working with Steve and some of these interesting characters is always fun. Yeah. Working um, in production. And so yeah. that's how you're getting into this project that you're working on right now. So yeah, last thing I want to ask you about is this project. Yeah. So I don't know. This winter, again, was one that there wasn't a ton of work. I had a couple jobs, but there was a lot of free time as well. And, um, I kind of, yeah, I just want to put everything together in a way and start to, like, I've been on all these crazy, you know, done all these crazy things, but I'd love to kind of produce something out of it. And I recently got my pilot's license. So, um, I'm working on an aviation ski project, uh, like first week of May. And so, and so, what is that? What's the project? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. <laughs> it's always, it's actually just currently developing as yeah. we speak. Yeah. Um, I had kind of a grand idea in the beginning. There's a pair of brothers here that pretty badass, you know, built an experimental plane. So it's this tiny little plane, you know, you can see like the bike cables running through to, you know use yeah. the inputs and they built they have skis for it so it can land up on top of these in iceland the mountains are actually flat in a lot of places on top and then they have these you know crazy cores coming down yeah so the plane can go and land on top of the mountains and then you could go ski down the cores, which i thought was just the coolest thing ever oh for the love of skiing yeah <laughs> it's just a it's a it's a medium you know it's a yeah. vessel um 
But yeah, so the plane's broken and there's no snow here. (laughs) And the snow all melted in the last week. Snow fucking melted. And so, I don't know, I called up a bunch of other pilots in Reykjavik. And there's just some crazy landscapes down there. Like glacial rivers. Yeah, glacial rivers, glaciers, um, other mountains, you know, that are higher up in the highlands, probably have more snow. And I kind of have this idea in my head to do sort of a artistic short piece Yeah, with so, these airplanes. So the airplane dropping you off on a glacier and, and skiing, like... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this year is kind of a scouting mission. Yeah. See sort of what's possible and like what could be done. Um, but I have this other friend coming and joining me named Lexi DuPont, who also got her pilot's license recently. And I don't know, this week just kind of talk with the pilots and explore possibilities for, you know, going out to remote places and just appreciating the beautiful landscapes around us here in Iceland. Yeah. So just try and make like a video of like everything from the plane's perspective. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly how the video is going to be. It's not going to be like a documentary or a, oh, we went out and skied these cool places type of thing. Yeah. Um, It'll definitely be a creative piece, I'd like to say. I hope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good luck with it. Thanks. I know I've I've seen some of the work you've done and I know it's going to be amazing. Oh wow, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There's me complimenting again. <laughs> you guys have got videos upon videos of me now complimenting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, um, dude, let's get out of here. Yeah. You're fucking amazing. See now, I think now people might understand why, like after listening to this, why you make me feel like a pussy in the mountains here. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am going, I don't want to die. I need to try to survive this. And you're just like going for like a leisurely walk <laughs> up a mountain. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm shaking going, I'm going to fucking die. I know. Sorry if it doesn't sound so extreme. <laughs> I'm just going to, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's what you've done your whole life. Pretty I was, much. Yeah, I don't really like, have like some massive extreme story. I don't know. No, but it's I was, all just you, sort of... <laughs> you just told me these extreme stories, but it's just like for me, it's like when I'm out there, like when I saw you the first day, I was like, well, this... You know, it's like I've grown up in the ocean my whole my whole life, and it's like that's what's comfortable for me. And yeah. like for you, it's like it's the mountains, and like I saw you in that element. So we're in the mountains. We've been in the mountains together, and in situations where I probably I needed you to be there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like yeah, but I saw you in your element, and I was like, oh yeah, this chick knows what's going on here. You know, like. You know, and obviously you're a ski guide and you're, yeah, a mountaineer. So it's like, it's pretty fucking badass. I feel like a pussy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, um, we've been drinking beers all weekend. So I, um, I reckon we should have a couple more. Continue that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, right. Jim. Thanks. Love yeah. you. <laughs>
Yeah, do it like a double 